0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I grew up in a in a southern Christian home. Um, we had our struggles, but um, when I, especially when I was younger, we were in church every every Sunday, every Wednesday, uh, always there. It didn't matter if I wanted to be there or not. Why would that matter, right? Uh, my parents, uh, I used to always joke that I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church every time <laughs> it was open, and uh, I thank God today that my parents uh, didn't let me, as an unwise, immature, confused teenager, uh, run my home. Because parents are parents and kids are kids for a reason, right? Your 13-year-old should not be in the driver's seat of your home. But I digress. <laughs> I grew up in this Christian church-going southern home, which meant that I couldn't do a lot of the things that my friends did. There were a lot of things that they did that I couldn't do. There were movies that my friends watched that I wasn't allowed to watch. There were things they said, language they used, that I wasn't allowed to use. I said, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, all the time. I never called an adult by their first name, ever, I had to be home for dinner or I was in trouble, right? My mom worked really hard to make sure that I didn't have a potty mouth, right? My son ain't going to have no potty mouth. And so she worked hard to make sure that was the case. I had chores and there were expectations. If I didn't open the door for people going into a building or out of a building, especially my mom, that my dad made sure my behind suffered for it. <laughs> there were these expectations. It wasn't super strict. There were just these, these standards. And I remember a bunch of times as a teenager saying something like, but, but mom, but dad, my friends are doing it, right? My, my friend's parents let them do this. Brian's parents let him say this. Charlie's parents let him watch that movie. Justin's parents let him go to that place. And my mom and dad, what did they say to me? The same thing probably your parents said to you and you've said to your kids. They're not my kids, right? Those people you're talking about, they are not my kids. I'm not their parent. I'm your parent. You are my kid. You're part of this family, Jake. I can't I can't speak for what they do, but you're a part of this family. And By God, if you're going to be a part of this family, there's going to be some standards. There are some things that you need to do and some things that you can't do, right? You ever say that to your kids or your parents say that to you? That's great that your friends are doing that, saying that, going there, but they're not my kids. They're not my family. You are. And this is all right and good, parents are parents, kids are kids. This is the way it's supposed to work. This is the way it should be, especially in a Christ-centered home, right? Especially in a Christ-centered home. I would say in a Christ-centered home, there should always be this tension between what we do and what others do, what we say and what others say, where we go and where others go, what we believe and what others believe. What our priorities are, what's important to us, and what's important to others. There should always be this tension in a Christ-centered home, right? In fact, I would say that if there is no tension like this in your home, then there's probably no difference. And if there's no difference between your family and a family that doesn't follow after Christ, then probably your family's not following after Christ, right? Today we're uh, starting a six-week series on what's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bible, you can grab it, head over to Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount is in chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And if you look at it in your Bible Um, it's just this sea of red, right? This sea of red letters because the Sermon on the Mount is preached by Jesus and it is the longest sermon we have of Jesus. In fact, it's the longest or largest pile of red letters in the New Testament altogether. No interruptions, no rebuttals, no questions, just Jesus's red letter words going out without interruption. And There's a lot in this thing, a lot. Much of it is pretty difficult. I mean, it's not all easy to take. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry towards the beginning anyways. and, And he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount and pretty early on in the story. But Matthew 4, just before the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 4 verse 17 says this. From that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so repent means to change your mind and your direction. Sometimes people think repent means to confess. That's not true. Repent means to change your mind, to change your direction, to take action to move a different to a different place in your thought, your belief, your attitude. So the message of Jesus was change Because the kingdom of heaven has come. It's at hand. So the Sermon on the Mount is after he's already been preaching this message for a while. He's healed a lot of people. He's done a lot of miracles. He's got a crowd of people that are wanting to follow him. And so he goes to a mountain and he kind of walks up a hill a little bit. And he sits down and begins to teach the masses. And so he's teaching people who have said that they want to follow him already. He's talking to people who have said they want to be a part of his family. And so he's been saying, repent, repent, change, change. The the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus going, okay, okay. You said you wanted to repent. You said you want this life trajectory change. You said you want to give your life over to me. This is now what that looks like. This is what we look like. If you're a part of my family, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going, this is what that looks like. He just takes topic after topic after topic, and he points out, this is how we should act. This is how we should think. It's different than the world. It's different than the Gentiles. It's different than the Jews. It's different than the Pharisees. We are different. This is how we are in our family. He's going, you're mine now. You're in my family. And that means some things, right? Just like my dad used to say to me, just like I say to my kids, you're a Mills. And that means there are some expectations. To me, that means something. When you carry my name, that means something it means we're going to act in a certain way this is Jesus going now you're a part of my family here are some very practical things you need to understand we are different you should look different now I mean the the theme verse I think of the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 6 8 or at least the first part of that and it just says don't be like them do not be like them don't be like them. You're different. Every section and topic in this huge sea of red letters in the Sermon on the Mount is making this distinction between what followers of Christ look like and what people who don't follow Christ look like. There's a difference, and it's very practical. It's not lofty, theological, heady, it's down to earth, it's specific, it's direct. But Jesus, my friend does that, and she's pretty cool. Your friend is not in this family. Don't be like them. But Jesus, that's kind of an old way of thinking. Like, we don't think that way anymore. That's that's how it was then, but we've kind of changed that. Now we think this way over here. The world has changed, and we now think this way. The world is not a part of my family. You are. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. If you're going to be a part of this family, if you're going to carry my name around as if you're my representatives in the world, there are standards. There are things we don't do. There are things we do. There are things we don't say. There are things we do say. We're different than them. And that might hit you as a little legalistic and a maybe, maybe a little judgmental this morning, but there's, there's another side to this whole thing that I want you to understand. The Sermon on the Mount is the creator of all that is, the creator of life, lovingly unpacking the way he made life work best. The way he made it work best for you. How he created life to work best. This is like a manufacturer explaining how it's supposed to work. No, 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 no. Not that way. That's not the way I made it. I made it this way. If you'll just trust me, just follow the instructions and you'll see this. And this is how I made this work right. Look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapter 7 of Matthew. I think Jesus will make this point himself without any help from me. Verse 24. In Matthew 7, says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So hearing and doing, Jesus says, are different things, right? Listening and obeying are different. Understanding and applying, those are different things. Jesus says, if you do this stuff, you're like someone who looks at their life and how they're going to build it like they would look at building a house. And they go, you know what? I'm going to build it on the rock instead of on the sand. You're like a person who goes, you know what? I'm going to build my life based on what the creator of life says, not on anything else. That way I can withstand the storms of life that will come. And how foolish would it be to do anything else, right? The the Sermon on the Mount is, is a loving father saying, I know how this works best, son. Just listen, I know how this works best. It's for your own good. Listen, if you build your life this way, when the storms come, it'll be less likely to fall apart. Even so, many rebel, right? Many rail against God's loving direction. Many say, well, that's an old way of thinking. That's not really the way we think anymore. Or, well, that's that's not how I believe God wants me to live. That's not how what I believe God wants me to do, even though it's just like black and white or red in, in the Bible, right? Like it's just very clear. Oh, well, he said that, but that's not for me. He really wants, I know Jesus, and he wants me to do this over here. I don't have to listen to that. I, I can just do this over here. That sounds too legalistic. God is a God of love. I know that for sure. So I'm just going to skip that part. But before you do any of that, beloved, know that there is no higher authority here. There is no higher power for you to consult. There is no higher court for you to appeal to. And you will, find, you will not find another who loves you as much as God loves you, who so completely wants your fulfillment, your satisfaction, your joy. You won't find anybody else who does. So before before we get into this sea of red in Matthew 5 through 7, this is our starting point. Jesus is laying out in a very practical and direct and down-to-earth specific way, here's what it looks like to be a part of my family. But it's not coming from some guy who wants to control you or judge you. It's coming from a loving father who knows how your life will work best because he made it. Tracking with me so far? All right. So what we're going to do over the next six weeks, is just study six red-letter passages from the Sermon on the Mount. We won't hit everything in it, so it's kind of up to you uh, to study the parts that we don't get to. And just to let you know, right out of the gate, two of the more famous passages in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes at the beginning and the... um, The Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, we're not going to get into those because we've got some series planned in the future, the near future that will tackle those. And so you'll see those glaringly absent from what we're talking about. But there's plenty to talk about in the Sermon on the Mount, plenty to wrestle with. I mean, if you just kind of skim through, you see it's like salt and light and anger and lust and divorce and oaths, making promises, revenge, money. The Lord's Prayer is in there. Fasting is in there. Money again is in there. Anxiety. Judging other people. The golden rule. I mean, there's just tons in the Sermon on the Mount to study. And I've purposefully chosen some of the more difficult parts. I've purposefully chosen some of the passages that deal with things that you and I in our time and in our area of the world deal with. Things that we struggle with over and over and over. With the idea that the the Sermon on the Mount is saying over and over and over, don't be like them. Don't be like them. With that idea, I've chosen purposefully some passages that if we're honest with ourselves, we're a lot like them. We're really struggling to look different than the world looks. And listen, I, I chose those. I did that because... I want you to like me. <laughs> That's <laughs> because I just want to preach, feel good, no need to change, cheerleader messages. You know that about me, right? You know that. That's what we do here at Great Oaks. No, it's because these things matter. Red letters, the words of Jesus himself. Jesus is dealing with these things because he loves you. And I'm preaching on them because I love you too. All right, let's spend some the rest of our time in our first topic, the first passage, we're going to unpack. To give you some context, Matthew five seventeen. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. So Jesus says, I haven't come to get rid of the Old Testament law, the standard of the Old Testament, the commands of God in the Old Testament. I haven't come to get rid of that. I've come to show you how to live it out. That's what I've come for. And then Jesus says six times in this area of the Sermon on the Mount, in a row, six times, he says, you have heard it said this, but I say to you this over here. Six times he takes the Old Testament law, the commandments of God, in the Old Testament, and he goes, this is what you've heard, and he raises the standard and goes, but I'm saying this over here. You can think of this as outward versus inward, right? You can think of it as inside and outside. Like, here's what you do if you want to follow the commands of God uh, just because you have to or you want to do the minimal thing to follow the commands of God, but he's going, no, 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 let's raise it up over here. This is what you do if you... Love God if your heart has been changed, and that's, that's different. That's, that's different. So he says over and over again, he goes, you've heard it said, don't murder. I say, don't be angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't let lust into your heart and into your mind. You say, you, you've heard it said, don't swear falsely. I say, live your life in such a way that you don't have to make oaths at all. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say you should love your enemies too. Jesus goes, you've heard it said that you can divorce your wife as long as you write her a a, a written certificate of divorce. I say if you divorce your wife, you cause her and yourself to commit adultery. He's raising the standard, not lowering it. He's saying that this stuff isn't just about checking boxes. This isn't a checklist where you go, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Check. I haven't broken a promise. Check. I haven't slept around. Check. This is deeper than that. It's about your heart, your motives, your thoughts, your intentions. It's it's deeper than outward action. And so let's look at the first one. That's the passage we'll camp in. It's about anger. I'm going to leave you with just one statement, one main statement to think about today. Verse 21 in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, red letters, Jesus is speaking. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus goes, the law says you shouldn't murder. I'm saying if you want to, you still got problems, right? Right? He goes, this is not about you towing some line and checking some list so that you can say that you're a good person. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. This is Jesus trying to get his followers, including you and me, to understand that this whole thing is going to start with your heart. If you're going to be a part of his family, if you're going to represent him well, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's going to start with your heart, inside out, not the other way around. You cannot legislate or checklist your way to being set apart for God. You can't checklist your way to to being a people set apart for the glory of God. It's not going to work. You will fail. You cannot follow the law, the commands of God that were given by a loving father who knows how things work best. You can't follow the commands of God on the outside until your heart has first been changed on the inside. That's the only way this is going to work. He goes, your heart matters to God. Listen, other people's kids could do something different. Jesus goes, not my kids. If you're in my family... You're going to have to deal with your anger. You're going to have to deal with your anger. Jesus is going, you guys think you're different because you haven't murdered anybody. Way to go. You passed the murder test. Good job. But he's going, isn't that kind of a low standard? I mean, don't a lot of people who don't follow me not murder people? No, I think the standard is higher. Jesus is going, this is about your heart. Your heart, your intentions, your motives, your emotions, those matter to God. In fact, that's where this whole thing starts. You hear what he's saying? You got to deal with the root, right? You got to deal with the root. If through the power of the Holy Spirit you can keep anger from consuming your heart and your mind, then chances are murder's not going to be a problem, right? He's saying, go to the root, go to the heart. Listen, some of us have problems blowing up for no reason. You blow up at your spouse or your kids for some small thing. You yell, you seethe, you curse, you flip out because somebody's in the left lane and won't let you go 15 over. You blow up for no reason. You're hard to be around because nobody knows when you're going to blow up. You can't let go of stuff. If your entree is not just perfect, it ruins your whole night. If that waitress doesn't get that tea to you quick, I'm not in the South anymore. If that waitress doesn't get that soda to you quick, then you can't let it go. Your whole night is ruined. Listen, you have a problem, but it's not a cursing problem. It's not a yelling problem. It's not a patience problem. It's not a picky eater problem. Listen, beloved, you have an anger problem. You have anger in your heart that is just growing and growing and growing, left there to its own devices. Bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart that's causing these things to happen. It may present itself in different ways at different times, but it's anger. It started with one or two. It might have been years or decades ago. started with one thing, then it got into two things and three things, and now it's 50. And it's just snowballing, and you've got this anger in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. It's taking up residence in your soul, and it presents itself in all of these different ways. Anger, bitterness. It's an unwillingness to forgive. And in the end, It really comes down to pride the root of anger is pride and this may be hard to hear but your problem is that you think too highly of yourself aren't you glad you came this morning (laughs) listen your problem is that you think too highly of yourself your wants your needs your desires your preferences the way you want things that's what's primary above other people's preferences or wants or needs So you can't let stuff go. I mean, think about it. You can't be angry long unless you think too highly of yourself. Now follow me here. If pride and thinking too highly of yourself is the root of this whole thing, then the answer to anger is humility. The answer to anger is humility. That's the first part of the statement I want to leave with you today. Humility is not living like you're the center of the universe. Humility is is realizing and coming to terms with where you fit in the universe, your place. Humility is thinking, get this, you might be wrong. I know it's crazy. Humility is preferring other people and their desires and their wants and their needs above your own, like Philippians 2 talks about. Humility is giving people the benefit of the doubt instead of thinking that they're always against you. Humility is, get this, realizing it doesn't matter whether you like something or not. It doesn't matter whether it's according to your preference, if you get your way. It doesn't matter if your spouse, your friends, your kids, your neighbors, your boss does what you want them to. Because listen, I know that the world is saying something different than I'm about to say. But I love you enough to say this you are not the center of the universe. Jesus is and once you get that figured out things can really change for you once you get that down then the root of anger begins to crumble away Jesus says if you say you you say if you murder someone that's bad I say if you want to you still got problems Anger in your heart is is like murder. So the listener and you and I are left going, "Okay, whoa, Jesus just escalated this whole thing, right? Like I was doing great on the murder test. I was 100%. I haven't murdered people at least since last week. This week I was doing good on the murder test, and and you're like, uh, but now he's saying anger in your heart. I totally have anger in my heart. If you're honest with yourself, you're going, I've got anger in my heart. And it sounds like what Jesus is saying is that having anger in my heart is equal to murdering people. And this is a huge thing. So as a listener here, in the Sermon on the Mount, these red letters as you read them, you're left going like, what do I do now? Jesus, how do I get my anger under control? Because I don't want it to own me how do I do this? Look at what Jesus says next in Matthew 5. It's not what you'd expect. Verse 23. Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus here, he doesn't give advice on how to get your anger under control. This passage on anger in the Sermon on the Mount really just tells us that if we have anger, we're in trouble, right? That we shouldn't have it, that we're going to be judged for it. Instead, in verse 23, Jesus' answer is to start talking about how other people are mad at you and what you should do. He's shifted from you being mad to others being justifiably angry at you. I expect Jesus to tell me what to do when I'm angry, when somebody wronged me. But he starts talking about what I should do when other people are angry at me, he starts talking about the fact that I've hurt others. It's brilliant. Because when I remember that I'm a sinner, and sometimes a mean sinner, then I'm more able to forgive and show mercy to people who have wronged me. In other words, when I remember that I'm a forgiven sinner, I can find the strength to forgive others Messed up sinners, right? You see, our problem is that we're focused on ourselves. We make it all about what's been done to us. Pastor, you don't get it. You don't know what they did. You don't know why I'm angry. It's justified, Pastor. I can't just let this go. I'm I'm justified in my anger. They were wrong. I can't just move on. Jesus turns that focus around. He goes, yeah, okay, but haven't you hurt others? Haven't you played the part of the betrayer? Haven't you abandoned others? Haven't you acted foolishly and recklessly with the emotions of those who love you? Haven't you used people, abused people, abandoned people, cursed people, said things that you know you shouldn't have said? And the answer is, of course you have. You're probably doing it right now, right? And Jesus's point is maybe you should stop focusing on the bad that's been done to you as if you haven't done anything bad to others. And instead, why don't you focus on what you need to go make that right and fix the mess that you made in that person's life? And here's the brilliance of Jesus. As he changes the focus... From what's been done to me to what I've done to others, I start to want the very things that I refused to give a moment before. Because I start to want forgiveness and mercy and the benefit of the doubt and all of that. As I look at what I've done to hurt others and I go and ask forgiveness, I start to want those things. Even though just a moment before, when I was consumed in my anger towards someone who did something wrong to me, I couldn't give those things. I couldn't even think of them. I wasn't even close. And here's what's supposed to happen. You and I are supposed to go to these people that we've wronged, we've hurt, we've made angry and ask for forgiveness. Not tomorrow, not next week, not the next time you see them. The thrust of these red letters in Matthew 5 are that this is to happen now. Before you bring a gift to the altar, before you do anything else, you need to go ask for forgiveness from these people. It means that you go to that person you did something wrong to and you ask for forgiveness. And you go to that person you did something wrong to and you ask for forgiveness. And you go to the next and to the next and to the next and you ask for mercy and you own up to what you did. Own up to what you said. Get this. Own up to what you thought. Because your thoughts, your heart matters to God. And then listen, beloved. In that process, Somewhere along the way, a miraculous thing happens. I can't find my anger anymore. The anger that I was once consumed with has, has shrunk, has, has taken up less space in my soul. Because as people show me mercy and forgive me, And even when they withhold it from me, I'm more likely to forgive others. Even if they never come and ask me for it. I'm more open, able to be open with my hands and my heart because it's been done for me. I've been shown mercy so I can show it to others easier. Here's the other half of that statement I'm leaving you with. The answer to anger is humility and perspective. You and I, we are not without guilt. We are not without fault. Anger lives in this false reality where hurt always comes at me and never from me. We have absolutely been hurt, no doubt. We've been wronged, sure. But we have wronged others. We have hurt others. Having a perspective that doesn't include what we've done to others, that only has room for what others have done to us, that's a perspective that's going to cause a lot of anger in your heart. It's going to cause a lot of bitterness. And it's going to snowball It'll affect your relationships. It'll affect your joy. It'll affect your job. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your kids. It'll affect your ability to follow Jesus. You have to deal with it. My advice to you is to pray. Pray for humility. Pray for perspective. And then move. Change direction. Repent. Take action because Like Jesus said, hearing is not the same as doing and understanding is not the same as applying. Listen, one of the biggest themes of the entire Bible is that God is setting apart for himself a people, his people, to be his representatives in the world at large. Over and over and over in the Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, it's about this people, his people, who he's setting apart constantly. He's telling them, this is how you should act if you're a part of my family. The prophets are constantly saying, don't be like them. Don't be like the other nations. Don't worship the gods they worship. Believe in the things they believe in. Prioritize the things they prioritize. Don't make their ways your ways. Over and over, God is trying to get his people to begin to act like his people. This is what it means. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is continuing that. This is what it means to be a part of my family. This is what it means to carry my name. This is why I created you, what I created you for, how I created you to work best. Humility, perspective, forgiveness, mercy. Not anger. I didn't create that for you. I didn't create you to work best in anger. Not anger. Listen, your tendency here Maybe to read these words, listen to these red letters from Jesus, and and point to someone else and go, At least I'm not as bad as them. You want to talk about anger? At least I'm not as bad as them. Your tendency here may be to revert back to when you were a kid, and your mom and dad were trying to hold you to a higher standard. And appoint someone to someone else and go, but they're doing it. But daddy, they're doing it. I think Jesus, like any good parent, would say to you, but they're not mine. They're not a part of my family yet. They don't bear my name. No doubt the world is full of angry people, bitter people, unforgiving people. Matthew 6, 8. Don't be like them. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your red letters, your words directly to us. I pray as always that whatever is of you today, was of you today, would be remembered, would haunt us this week, would lead us to life change. And whatever was of me would be quickly forgotten. Lord, I know that we struggle with anger in our hearts. And so, I guess my prayer is just that we would be honest about that. Honest with ourselves, honest with you. That we would confess that anger, see it as a problem and ask for humility and perspective. As we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed, listen, I, I know that this is difficult, especially if you're dealing with anger in your heart, anger in your mind. You're having trouble letting go of that thing that they did to you, he did to you, she did to you. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't have a moment here at the end of this service, at the end of this sermon, to offer you a chance to to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, to confess what's going on in your life as far as anger goes. And so prayer team, I'd like you to make your way to the sides if you haven't already. And here's what I want to do. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I just want to offer you a chance to be prayed over. I want to pray over you. And then maybe during this last song, you would be bold enough to go up to a prayer worker and just say, hey, I've got some anger issues. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. I need some help. And they would pray over you. And so if you're in here and you, you would say, that's me. I, anger is something I deal with. Bitterness, unforgiveness. This is, this is definitely something that I've got going on in my heart. I just want to say a prayer over you. And I think the act of you kind of doing something to say, I, I realize this, I confess this, I think there's power in that. I think there's power in not just keeping it in your own mind and your own heart. So if that's you, you would say, you know what, I need prayer for this. I want prayer for anger. I've got issues with anger. I'm going to confess those right now. I want I want Jesus to help me, the Holy Spirit to help me with eyes closed and heads bowed. If that's you, just lift your hand up and I would pray for you. Yeah, I see that hand. Anyone else? Yeah, of course. Hands going all up and a bunch of people who need to be raising their hands that are still thinking about it. (laughs) Lift your hand up so I can pray for you. This is just a sign of confession to the Lord. Nobody's looking around. Let me pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask that your Holy Spirit would miraculously and in a way that only you can do, God, that that your Holy Spirit would come into this place, those with their arms raised their hands raised that would say, I've got anger problems. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would heal them. That your spirit, your power would go deep into the root of this issue, into their souls, into their hearts, that thing that they can't get past, the first thing that they held on to, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray that you would miraculously remove that from their lives. Give them the power to forgive, to move on, to let go, to show mercy. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would supernaturally replace their anger with humility and perspective we need your help with this Jesus it's so hard help us Lord help us in Jesus name everybody said amen Amen. why don't you stand with me during this last song I'd love for you to go get prayer Um, if you've got anger things you want to get prayer for or anything you need prayer for or want prayer for we've got prayer workers on the side I would love for you to do that here's my prayer for you today. May you be set apart, different, holy. May you seek the wisdom of your creator as you build your life. And may you find the power of the Holy Spirit, the help of the Holy Spirit to replace that anger with humility and perspective. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. Make sure you talk this over with the life group. Get plugged into a life group if you're not already. And as always, my challenge to you is to not let this stop with you. Just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God, go out and help others. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless. Don't miss next week as we continue this Red Letter series.